Can we just give God some praise one more time for that? Amen. Well, good morning. We're glad you're here this morning. We're glad that God brought you here and that you chose to be with us this morning. And, uh, you know, you're probably wondering what in the world is that guy wearing that T-shirt. But it is shameless promotion about an event for our men that's coming up in February 21st. And we men, we want you to sign up and be part of that. You know, it's going to be one of those nights where we talk about God igniting a flame within us. I don't know about you, when I look at my life sometimes, I need God to ignite something within me. How about you? Amen? Amen? I hope you believe that. And so if you're a man here, please sign up for that today. Today, we're going to wrap up our series, When Trusting God Makes No Sense. When Trust makes no sense. And I, I always keep going back because it's important to back up a little bit. Because I think it's important for us to be reminded that sometimes when we feel like, you know, when things happen in life and we're, we, we're down that path of trusting God, sometimes, honestly, this is laid on the table, sometimes it doesn't make sense. From the human perspective and from our human rationale, sometimes when we're told to live a life of obedience and to do this and to live this way, sometimes we look at it and go, God, that just doesn't make any sense. But here's what we all have to know. Whether it makes sense or not, we're still called to do what? To trust him, right? Whether it makes sense or not, we're still called to trust him. We're still called to believe that he is able and to believe that he is faithful, even when it doesn't make sense. And so we've been talking about that, and we looked at what are some obstacles to trusting him, really, what's the greatest obstacle, and then we began to talk about what are some areas that we need to trust God. We talked about finances, we talked about our doubts last week, and this week I want to talk about something that's, that's extremely personal for many people in the room today, because you know it maybe better than I know it, but it's something we all wrestle with, and it's an area that we need to all trust God with, and it's this, it's the area of pain. Now, I don't want you to raise your hand, and I don't, want to, I don't want you to say, hey, that's me, Doug, but the truth of the matter is, there's many people in this room that know a lot about the pain of life, right? You know a lot about the pain of life. We've all experienced pain in life, amen? amen. See, some of you don't say it very loud because you're like, it wasn't fun, right? We all know that, right? It's just some of us have gone through pain in life, and what we do is, you know, because we've gone through so much pain, sometimes we feel like we can see pain coming, and we run as far the opposite direction as we can. Right? We see the possibility for pain, and we're like, I don't want that. Last time I went through pain, I, look where it got me. Look, what, I, look how I resu- what was the result of that. And so when we see pain coming down the pike, our first response is to flee from that. I don't want anything to do with that. And then there's some of you in the room today that, man, you're going through pain right now, and what you want more than anything is a break. Right? You just want a break. You just need some respite from the pain. It's raging in your life. And then there's some of you in the room, maybe your pain is extreme. Maybe you've gone through something that maybe uh, you feel like maybe nobody else has gone through, which is not true, but your pain is just that deep for you. And maybe today where you came, you're like, I don't even know why I came. I didn't feel like coming today. But you came because there's something inside of you that goes, my pain is so deep within me. I'm just ready to throw the towel in. I'm ready to say, I give up. Have you ever been there before? I'm telling you, that's a terrible place to be, isn't it? Now, With all of that said, it's important for us as we wrap this series up to go, you know what? There's a lot of areas we need to trust God with, but there's one area we really need to trust him with, and that's our pain. We need to trust God with our pain. So how do we do that? If you have your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 is where we're going to be. Go ahead and turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're just going to look at two verses today. And if we're going to learn to trust God with our pain, there are two things that we need to understand. And here's the first one. You ready? Pain is just a part of life. 
Did you hear that? Pain is just a part of life. Now, I'm not trying to diminish pain. I'm not trying to say your pain doesn't matter because your pain matters a lot. And the enemy knows your pain matters because the enemy knows if they can get you focused on your pain and driven by your pain and wallowing in your pain, you are ineffective for the kingdom of God. You're not going to grow closer to the Lord in that regard because you're just wrapped up in the woe is me mentality, right? The enemy wants you to be in pain. So I'm not minimizing it, but I want us to know that pain is just part of life. Listen, we live in a fallen world. When Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God in the garden, the perfect place to do what they were told not to do, they disrupted the perfect communion and the perfect fellowship they had with the creator God, and sin came into the world. And you know what sin did to the world? It began to decay the world. And I hear people all the time, you know, you listen to podcasts and you watch TV, which is always dangerous. And you got these Christian people going, you know what, we, we, need, a, we need an enlightenment to come around. We need a, a revival. And yes, all that's true. But listen, we need the revival for us so we can stand in the gap and present the gospel and point people to Christ. We don't need a revival because somehow we think that sin's going to get better in the world. It's not. We live in a decaying world. Creation is unraveling. Because of sin that's in the world. So pain is part of that. It is just part of life. Now, if you have your Bibles, I want to read a verse here for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. The Apostle Paul, beginning to write about his life to the church of Corinth, which you know, if you know anything about the Bible, that the church of Corinth was one messed up church, right? I mean, they had it. I mean, if you could say churches gone wild, that was the church of Corinth, right? That was who they were. And then look, he begins to shift in in chapter 12 and talking about some things that he's gone through. And he says this in verse 7. So to keep me, talking himself, from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, in other words, God had revealed some stuff to him, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from being conceited. Now, here's what makes no sense to me. You ready? Here's what I, in my own human flesh, and my own rationale, makes no sense to me. The Apostle Paul was probably the greatest voice in the first century for all of Christianity outside of Jesus himself. I mean, he taught more. He wrote more letters. I mean, we have, out of the 27 books of the New Testament, we have uh, most of those are his books. I mean, if there was ever a who's who or who had made the greatest impact in the first century, it's the Apostle Paul, right? Would you agree with that? Amen? I mean, he had the greatest voice. So I'm just thinking in my own human wisdom, my own human wisdom is this. God, if there's anybody you should protect from pain, it would be Paul. I mean, if there's anybody you want to protect God, it's Paul, because Paul is knocking it out of the park. I mean, Paul is preaching the gospel, and he's writing things. He's redirecting people that have gone astray, like the church of Corinth. God, if there's anybody, anybody you want to protect from pain, I would think it would be Paul. Because we all know that pain distracts us, doesn't it? Pain calls us to think about things and to go down paths that that, that takes our minds off of what God has for us sometimes. So if there's anybody that I was like, God, if there's anybody that I would, that I would exempt from pain, if there's anybody I would protect from pain, it would be Paul. Wouldn't you feel the same way? Pick on Peter. He's already got issues. But let's leave Paul alone. But here's the point. Paul was not exempt from pain. Pain was part of his life. 
too, right? Pain was part of his life. He was not exempt from pain by any means. In fact, let's back up into chapter 11 because Paul talks a little bit more about his pain. Look what he says in verse chapter 11, verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. This is a fun chapter, by the way. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received the hands of the Jews, the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. At night and day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journey in danger from rivers, in danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger in the sea, danger with false brothers, and toil and hardships through many sleepless nights, and in hunger and thirst, often without food, and in the cold and exposure. And apart from these things, there is a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Woo! If anybody knew pain... Paul knew pain, right? I would, I would exempt Paul, but God didn't. Pain was part of life. Paul knew pain. I mean, you can just track through chapter 11. I mean, this guy, I mean, some of us, listen, some of us, if we experience a portion of what Paul did, we're throwing the towel in. Imprisonments, beatings, ostracized. I love it when he says, I was in danger at the rivers with robbers, my own people, the Gentiles, the city, the wilderness, everywhere I went, pain, 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 pain. Here's the point. The apostle Paul, who was making a difference for the kingdom of God, was not exempt from the pain of life. Just think about it. Did Jesus know pain? Come on, did Jesus know? Come wake up. Did Jesus know pain? Yeah, he knew pain. And we know the greatest pain he felt was the pain of the cross, right? A physical pain. I mean, we cannot begin to comprehend the beatings, the lashings. I mean, when the Bible talks about being beat almost beyond the point of recognition, we have no concept. There is no movie out there that can paint a picture that is gruesome as what Jesus experienced. Nothing. And the pain of the cross, the nails and the hands and the feet, and hanging there dehydrating, nobody knows that pain. He experienced physical pain, no doubt about it. But guess what? He also experienced other kind of pain. He experienced the pain of betrayal too, didn't he? A guy that walked with him, saw the miracles he performed, totally rejected him, totally abandoned him, totally rat him out. Did he know the pain of denial? Yeah, Peter. I mean, there's a, there's a moment in Luke's gospel. You can go back and read it. There's a moment when Peter denies Jesus the third time. It says that he and Jesus made eye contact. How would you feel, Right? I remember as a kid when I would disobey my dad. My dad was 6'4 and 270. He was a large man. And when I would do something I wouldn't do, I would always keep my eyes on the floor and just keep moving my direction because his eyes told the story of my destiny. Right? Can you imagine the moment that Peter caught a glimpse eye to eye with Jesus of what had just happened? You think Jesus understood the pain of betrayal and denial? You better believe he did. Jesus understood pain. You think he understood the pain of unbelief? You know, one of the most powerful passages is in John 11. Jesus is gone and Lazarus is dead. And he didn't come in three days. He comes on the fourth day. And if you know anything about Jewish culture, that after three days, the Jews believe the spirit departed the body. And so when Jesus shows up from a Jew standpoint, Lazarus was dead, dead. I mean, he was like way dead. He was really dead. There was no hope for Lazarus. 
And the two people that, that knew Jesus, Mary and Martha, come to Jesus, and they're frustrated with Jesus. And they say, if you'd only been here. And in Jesus, he wept over what was going on. And then he ends up telling him, so you've forgotten something. I am the resurrection and the life. And he felt the pain of unbelief everywhere he went. Can you imagine the pain of unbelief of the Pharisees? Think about it. These were people that were set aside by Jewish tradition. These people set aside. They handled the Old Testament. They taught the Old Testament. They talked about the prophet Isaiah who predicted the coming of the Messiah. These people should be the ones that when Jesus showed up, were running to him going, he's here. But they were the ones that were chastising him. They're ones that in Mark's gospel says that after he performed a miracle, they were ready to kill him. You think Jesus knew pain? Yes. Now, what is the point? Here it is. We too will know pain. We will know pain. We are not, listen, we are not exempt from pain. Just because you love the Lord does not mean you're exempt from pain. We will too maybe know the pain of disappointment, the pain of rejection, the pain of loss, the pain of betrayal or even the pain of disease. We too will know pain. Are you with me on that, church? I'm not trying to depress you because we're going somewhere. We too will know pain, but I want you to know something about pain. When you read what Paul's writing here, he is not implying that God allowed this pain in his life because God was trying to pay him back. God wasn't like, hey, look, I'm going to make up for all those times when you were a Pharisee and you were killing Christians. Now this pain, it's coming your way, Paul, and I'm putting this pain in your life to pay you back for all that you did. God never did that. God doesn't pay us back that way. In fact, when you look at Scripture, here's the truth you come to more times than not. That God allows things in our lives not to pay us back, but to what? To bring us back, Right? God provided a great fish for Jonah, not to pay him back out of his rebellion, but to catch him and to bring him back. And I want to submit something today. There's too many people, maybe even this room, that look at their pain and go, what have I done wrong that God would do this to me? Well, I would never say that. I've heard, I've been in ministry almost 29 years, and I can't tell you the number of times I've heard that. People believe that the pain they go through in life is somehow God paying them back. And I want to tell you today, if that's what you believe, you are wrong. God does not put pain in your life to pay you back. Yes, God disciplines. But listen, God allows pain in your life to bring you back. See, Paul understood something that we need to understand. In fact, if you look at the letter here, not only is pain part of life, but Paul writes, and he writes it interestingly. Notice what he says here. You don't have to go back there yet, but he says that... that uh, um, so that keep me from becoming conceited because of the passing greatness of revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh. Now, Paul's writing and looking back on his life a little bit. We don't know how long, but this is like something that's already happened. Now, he may still have the thorn in the flesh by the time he writes, probably so, but he's writing back when it kind of the pain really got intense. And it's funny that Paul would say something. Listen, don't miss this. He said, it was given to me. Now, if I'm Paul, I'm going to write it differently. I'm going to write it, it's been inflicted upon me, right? That God inflicted me with pain. But see, that's not how Paul saw his pain. Paul didn't see his pain as if God had inflicted upon him. He saw his pain as something God had allowed in his life that now he sees, listen, now he sees it as a gift. Think about that. God has allowed pain in his life, and now Paul, as he writes this letter, sees it as a gift from God. See, here's the second thing Paul understood that we understand. 
Not only is pain part of life, but pain has a purpose. Please don't miss this. Pain has a purpose. And look at the, let's go back and look at the verse here. Let's look at verse 7 again. And I'm going to give you four purposes that pain has. Here's the first one, verse 7 again. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me, gift, in the flesh, a messenger uh, of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. One of the purposes of pain is this. It's to humble us. One of the reasons God allows pain in our lives like he did Paul is to humble us, right? See, God allowed pain in Paul's life, listen, for this reason. Paul, I want you to be reminded of your place. I want you to be reminded of who you are. I remember when I was a kid, my dad, we had this, this table that there was five of us, and this table would sit like eight people if the leaf was in it, and my dad always sat at the head of the table. And he had a cushion in his seat, I don't know why, but he always had a cushion in his seat, and he had the arms, and every other chair was not as comfortable as my dad's chair. You know how that stuff goes, right? And I remember my dad was grilling out one day, and I decided when he brought the food in, I was going to raise the game. And so my dad brought the food in, I was sitting in his chair. And then all of a sudden, I felt this horrible thump on the back of my head. And I'm not talking about like a little thump, I'm talking a daddy thump. I'm one of those that's like, what was that? Boy, that's what he said, you're in my chair. To which I said, yes, sir, and I got up and I moved, right? Now, what was my dad doing? He was like, hey, you've forgotten your place. I know this is funny and it's cute. You've forgotten your place. I don't want you to forget your place. I don't want you to forget I'm daddy and you're not. I'm the head of this household, and you're not even close. So go back to your chair. Listen, God allows pain in our life to humble us, to remind us of our place. He's like, Paul, I want you to know something. Here it is, Paul. You ready? I'm God and you aren't. I'm in control, Paul, and you were not. See, now, if you looked at Paul's ministry, Paul had one of the most successful ministries of all of Christendom. I mean, you, you would struggle to find other people that had any close to success that Paul had when he was seeing people converted or mentoring people. I mean, Paul was a voice. I mean, he was so successful in ministry. But what was Paul before he was a Christian? What was he? What was his vocation? He was walking. Don't, don't be ashamed. You say it, say it loud. You're right. He was a Pharisee. Now, if you study anything about Pharisees through Scripture or even through Roman historians or Jewish historians, what you will find out is that Pharisees were notorious for arrogance. They were pious. In fact, Jesus used this example talking about two people that were praying and said the Pharisee stood up and held his cloak and then pointed to a sinner and go, thank you, God, I'm not like that tax collector, that sinner. Arrogant. And if you think about it, is it possible that Paul came from a lifestyle of arrogance? He came from a lifestyle of being pious. Is it possible that with all the success in ministry, that Paul would wrestle possibly with that same thing? Is it possible if he was once an arrogant guy, that he could, I mean, he, if you back up, he says, I'm not going to boast in me. I'm not going to boast in me. But we all know the truth is, if you lived a life at any level of being it all about you and arrogant, you're still going to wrestle with that. Paul was seeing so much success in ministry, I'm sure he must have wrestled a little bit with what it would be if he was arrogant again. And so he says, listen, here's what happened. God allowed this thorn to come into my life to keep me from being arrogant. You know why? Because God knows me. God knows my past. God knows my propensities. And God allowed it into my life 
so would be conceited. Now, do you, know the, do you know what happens when we become arrogant or conceited? The first thing we do when we become that person that looks at our life going, well, aren't I awesome? I mean, look at me. Look what I can do. Look what I've done. You know, you know what happens when we become conceited? All of a sudden, we de- develop and adopt this mindset. I don't need God. I've got this all figured out. I don't need God in my marriage. I've got to figure it figured out. I don't need God in my finances. I got that stuff figured out. See, when we become arrogant and pompous and that, that piousness and, and that conceited in our heart, it leads us toward independence from God. And Paul knew that. And Paul's like, listen, God allowed this in my life to keep me from being that guy I used to be. He knows me. He knows my propensities. And he's protecting me. Now, here's the point I want you to get. Sometimes God allows pain in our life to humble us. Now, how many of us are excited about that one? Right? But you know what? He doesn't want us to become arrogant. He doesn't want us to get to a place where we feel like we don't need him. Rather, what he wants is us to have utter dependence on him. Paul got that. So when you think about pain has a purpose, the first purpose is to humble us. The second one's in verse 8. Look with me in verse 8. He says this three times. And actually, the Greek translation should be at least three times, meaning at least three times I know of. But there's probably a lot more. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Now, have you ever been that guy before or that gal before? Something happens in your life, and you spend your time pleading with God. God, would you take this out of my life? Anybody, come on. Anybody ever done that? I have. All right, great. Now, I know all you rest of you spiritual people in the room going, no, I pray my, not my will, but your will be done, right? I know that. And Paul doesn't pray that, does he? But you know what happens with this pain that's in his life? He prayed. And it says, not just he prayed like, you know, a casual prayer. It says he pleaded with God. You know what pleading looks like? It's begging. It's like, it's like Jacob when he wrestled with God and he was holding on going, I'm not letting go because I need you to bless me. I need you to touch me. I need your presence with me. I'm not letting go of you, God. That's what begging is. That's what Paul did. See, listen, the pain has a purpose. On one hand, it's to humble us. Also, it's to draw us and to draw us closer to him. For Paul, he begged, he pleaded. Now, I want you to know something here. I know some of you are going, well, yeah, but shouldn't he have prayed, hey, Lord, not my will, your will be done? Yeah, he probably should have. But here's what I want you to notice about this. Where did he go in the, in the climax of his pain? Did he go to Timothy? Did he go to Titus? Did he go to his arch enemy, Peter, sometimes? Did he go to anybody else? No. Where did he go? He went to the creator God. And listen, it's so important for us to remember that when pain comes our way, we spend way too much time seeking the counsel and advice of everybody else. And the first thing we should do is get on our knees before a holy God and just plead with him first. Now, I'm not saying wise counsel is wrong. What I'm saying is we got to start with God first. Paul understood that. Paul knew that this pain would lead him to draw closer to the Lord. Sometimes God allows pain in our life. To draw us in. Do you believe that? Sometimes he allows pain in our life to draw us. Let me give you a third purpose of pain. It's found in verse 9, the very first part. As he pleaded with the Lord, verse 9, but he, being God, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. 
For my power is made perfect in weakness. There is pain in purpose. Pain, the purpose to humble us, to draw us, but thirdly, to remind us. What is he reminding us of? That his grace is enough. Now, I've been in church all my life. And I've heard this passage a lot of times. But nobody's ever taken time to go, what does it mean to say that God's sufficient? That his grace is enough? I mean, we can say it, we can sing it, we can shout it, we can quote it. But what does it really mean to say that God's grace is enough? That his grace is sufficient? Here's what it means. It means that God's grace is enough when it comes to supply. Meaning this, when God gives us his grace, it's all we need. He holds nothing back. God doesn't have this measure of love that goes, ah, I'm just going to give you a little bit. It's called agape for a reason, right? Agape means unconditional without limits. There's no ifs, there's no ands, there's no buts, there's no contractual things. God just bestows his grace that we do not deserve, his love on us, and he gives it, and there's never anything lacking in his love. Amen? Amen. So he is sufficient in his supply of his love. He's also, his grace is enough, not only in the supply, but in salvation. The moment we yield our lives to Christ, the moment we say yes to him, we are saved through and through. Our sins have been forgiven, past, present, and future. We are eternally secure in him. But to say that God's grace is sufficient is not only about his supply of love, not only about how he saved us, but it's also that his grace is sufficient in our sufferings, and in our pain. Now, I want you to hear me on that. It's like he's reminding Paul, hey, Paul, my grace is enough for you right now. Hey, if my grace was enough just to give you without any boundaries and it lacks nothing, and if my grace was good enough to give you, to bring you to the point of salvation, Paul, my grace is enough to get you through the suffering you're going through, right? Paul, my grace is enough. I know you're in pain, bro. I know you're struggling, but my love for you is enough that will strengthen you to get you through the storm, the suffering, and the pain that you're right in right now. My grace is enough to get you through the pain of disappointment, the pain of suffering, the pain of rejection, the pain of loss, and the pain of betrayal. My grace is enough to get you through it. Is that good news? Man, I'm telling you, listen, sometimes. God allows pain in our life, yes, to humble us, yes, to draw us, but also to remind us that his grace is enough. It's enough. One more thing I want you to see. It's in verse 9 again. Let's go back to the last half of verse 9. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. In other words, the pain has a purpose, and that purpose is to humble us, to draw us, to remind us, and lastly, to strengthen us. When I read Paul's letter here, here's where I conclude about Paul, that at the moment he's pleading with God, that moment when that happened, Paul was out of answers. Paul was out of strength. Paul was probably out of confidence. But what Paul learned was this, that in his weakness, God's strength showed up. Are you with me? In the midst of his pain, and the midst of his weakness, God's power and God's grace showed up like it had never shown up before in Paul. And so Paul comes to some conclusions here. Look at me real quick. In verse 9 and 10, Paul comes to some ultimate things, some things he realized, and here it is. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, 
so the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am, underline it, content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am what? I am strong. See, what Paul ultimately realizes is this, is that he can boast in his weakness. That he can boast in his weakness. You know why? Because in his weakness, God is doing his greatest work in Paul. Are you with me on that? In the midst of his pain and his weakness is when God is doing the greatest work in Paul's life. Here's something I need us to understand. Please don't miss this. This is huge. Just because God wasn't working to remove Paul's pain in his life doesn't mean that God wasn't working to get Paul through the pain in his life. You follow that? Just because God wasn't working to remove Paul's pain doesn't mean he wasn't working to get Paul through the pain he was going through. What Paul understood that we must understand is that in the midst of our pain, God's at work. And God is working in us. And he's working through us. That God is at work. And his grace sustains us and keeps us right where he wants us. Paul says, listen, here's what I realized. I can boast not because I made it. I can boast not because I'm stronger than everybody else. I can boast because Christ's power rests on me. That he strengthens me through my pain. And even if he doesn't take the thorn away. By the way, the thorn here should be translated. When we think of a thorn, typically we think of like a rose bush. Anybody have a rose bush to get a thorn in your finger, right? You know, a little, a little blister there, but it doesn't hurt too bad, right? And then, you know, if being a Floridian now, I mean, I don't just think of a rose thorn. I think of like a palm tree thorn, right? <laughs> the thorn, right? I mean, like a thorn, right? And when you get stuck with one of those, they hurt, don't they? But eventually it goes away. The word thorn here can literally be translated a tent stake. So it would be translated, tent stake. You know what a tent stake is, right? One of those big stakes you put down a tent with. That, and think about it. There's a difference in a rose thorn in your side or in your body or a little bit of a palm tree thorn or a tent stake that's been driven into you. That's what Paul was talking about. And he said, even though I had this massive amount of pain in my life, I can boast. You know why? Because God's at work in me. He's at work in my heart. And it's his grace that sustains me. And then he says, because God's working, I can be content. Now, I'm going to blow your mind. Are you ready? You know what that word contentment means in this passage? I can be delighted. When's the last time you were ever delighted over your pain? Never? Right? Paul says, listen, because of God's working in me, I can be content in my weaknesses. I can be content with the insults. I can be content with the hardships. I can be content with the persecution. I can be content with the calamities. I can be content. I can delight in those. Why? Because my strength doesn't come from me. My strength comes from him. And Paul says, I can be content because of that. And so maybe you're here today and you're like, Doug, I'm loaded with hardship and pain in my life. What I hope we understand is what Paul understood. That pain has a purpose. Sometimes it's to humble us. Sometimes it's just to draw us in. You remember what the, the writer of the New Testament says? That draw near to God and he will what? Draw near to you. Sometimes pain is to remind us that his grace is sufficient. Sometimes pain to strengthen us. God may not take the thorn away, but he's sure doing a work in our life to get us through the pain, right? Now, my prayer for us today, my prayer is very, very simple, 
that we would decide today that we're going to trust God with our pain. And here's a thought for you. Is it possible that our greatest growth comes on the other side of pain? Think about that one. Is it possible that our greatest growth spiritually comes on the other side of pain? And if that's true, here's my question. Will you trust God with your pain today? Will you give it to him? Will you lay it at his feet? We say, Lord, would you trust? I trust you with my pain. Now, if you're going to do that, that means you've got to realize pain is a part of life, but pain has a purpose. And so if you say, Lord, I want to trust you with my pain, here's what you're saying. God, take my pain. God, take my pain. And would you do a work in here? God, take my pain. And would you do a work in me? Because you know what I want? You know what I want? I want God to take the pain away. But that's not always what God wants. God wants to use the pain in our life for a purpose. And if you're going to trust God with your pain today, you literally are going to be at that point where you've got to say, Lord, take my pain, but in the meantime, would you do a work in my heart? Here's what I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask everybody just to stand up if you would, every head bowed and every eye closed. Everyone stand with me if you would. I'm going to ask that nobody be looking around just for a moment, just between you and the Lord. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Nobody's looking, so I'm going to ask you a question today. If you know pain all too well, and there's a lot of pain in your life right now, would you just slip your hand up, put it back down? I'm, just, I'm not going to point you out. I just want to know. Hey, man, I'm going through pain. Oh, my gosh, all across the room. And you're going through pain. Here's what you probably found out. When you try to deal with it on your own, it only grows. So today, we say, Lord, I'm going to trust you with that pain. I want you to help me find purpose in the pain I'm going through. Lord, either use it to humble me, God, use it to draw me, God, use it to remind me, or God, use it to strengthen me. God, I don't care. But I'm going to give you my pain today. And I'm going to ask you to do work in my heart. And if you're struggling with pain today, as many, many, many of you are, would you just pray that today? In a moment, I'm going to pray for us. When I'm done, this altar is open. And maybe today, for the first time in your life, you need to figure out what it means to plead with God. For me, pleading is when I'm on my knees and I'm crying out to Him. Maybe you need to do that today. This altar will be open for you. Let's pray. God, I love you. I thank you for today. I thank you for the Apostle Paul as I looked at his life, Lord. In my own human understanding, I'm like, God, would you protect him from pain? He was a mouthpiece in a powerful way. But God, what we find out over and over and over again is that Paul knew pain all too well. But Paul understood some things that we need to understand. Pain is just a part of life. That's true. But what he knew much better than us that we need to get today is that pain has a purpose. And God, I pray for those in the room today, those that are struggling, those that are hurting today. May you help us flip the script of how we view pain. Instead of viewing it as something that we pray that you would remove, may we start viewing it as something that you would do, use in our lives to grow us. God, I just know from my own personal life that some of the greatest growth in my life spiritually has happened on the other side of pain. And so God, I pray for us today. I pray for those that are hurting. 
I pray today with everything in me, they would just give it over to you. Say, Lord, here's my pain. Now, would you do a work in my life and in my heart? God, we desperately need you today. We desperately need you, Lord. We don't have this thing figured out. We need you. So would you move only as you can? And for those who are loaded with pain today, Lord, may they give it to you. And may you lighten their low. May they listen when Jesus said, cast your cares or burdens on me, for I care for you. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Lord, for a lot of people today with pain, they need rest. But it begins with us turning it over to you. So God, help us do that today. Help us be faithful to respond. For it's in your precious and your powerful son's name we pray. Amen, amen. Now listen, this altar's open. If you're wrestling and you just need to plead with God, here it is. You want to sit down in your chair and do it? I don't care. But don't let this moment miss us today. Because there's so many of us going through it. And if we're going through it, we, we know what to do. And if you're not going through pain, listen, pain's coming. We live in a world filled with pain. And at some point in your life, you're going to go through it. And instead of trying to go through it on your own, you need to realize that he's with you, he's for you, he's not against you, and he's right there in it with you. And we need to turn it over to him. So the question is, will you trust him? Will we trust him with our pain today? And if you need to respond, would you be faithful to do that? You move as the Lord leads you.